All right, so we have merch. We do. It has happened. Um, and so I, I we did a soft launch uh, before this podcast uh, came out. And we just like settled on, on Reddit and Twitter and things like that. So some people have checked it out. Um, but this is like the hard launch. Um, so you can go over to Teespring. There will be links in the show notes. And you can go check out some merch. And if you feel like supporting the show and being part of the community... Uh, you can uh, you can go uh, pick up some merch. I have added some new merch, which I think Bill, you were unaware of. Oh, I wasn't aware of that. Yeah, so I deliberately wanted to keep it a surprise for you. So do you want to head on over to to the store there? I have a gander, and then maybe do paint some visual pictures for people. I would absolutely love to do that. If I would, I would love nothing more. Um. Uh, as for the um, the older merch, the merch that uh, initially launched, uh, we have two T-shirts. Um, there is the Coat of Arms T-shirt uh, made by you slash Cool Mayor uh, in men and women's sizes. And then there's uh, an uh, Artifacts in Podcast logo T-shirt, men and women's sizes. And initially, they launched with like a teeny tiny logo in a sort of um, like football jersey sort of thing, like a little... Um, how what would you call that? Like a little small thing on your peck. What do you call that? Sort yeah, and kind of on your on on the left side of your chest. Yeah, that sort of thing. Yeah. But it, I got a copy. I I got, I got sent some sample merch, and it didn't look quite right, so I blew it up into a big, a big AP, uh, red AP on a black shirt. Um, which nice. people people were saying they were kind of like, we want bigger designs, so. You want it bigger, I gave you bigger. Uh, so those are the initial ones. And then, Bill, if you're there, do you want okay. to run through the newer ones? Um, well, I am looking at the shop now, and that is all I can see. So I'm going to scroll down, and... <laughs> cool. <laughs> <laughs> what have we got? Okay, so we have a mug. We have a mug. It was requested, much requested. It was requested, yeah. So an Artifexian podcast logo mug. So is, is it a black background or is it a dark blue background? Uh, black. Their dark blue was not very good. Okay. So a black background and then the red AP um, logo. Mm-hmm. Then um, the t-shirts, again, in various styles. Uh, <laughs> reading... <laughs> <laughs> Beta Max Crinkle Dash. <laughs> I just, I just had to. It had to happen. Uh, and it's done like the why of all of the ridiculous things I've said <laughs> to choose that one. You need to keep up the ridiculous things because we got to make merch out of the ridiculous things. Like there's still there's there's definitely going to be Bill Bill Polian merch coming real soon. <laughs> there better be. Man, um, there is, it is it is genuinely so much fun to turn these like podcast memes into t-shirts i adore this process it's so cool even if no one <laughs> buys any of these shirts i had an amazing time <laughs> uh, and the, yeah the betamax the real dash, merchandise profit is the fun we had along the way exactly um the betamax crinkle dash uh <laughs> shirts are done like the artifact scene logo so half of the word is like um, a solid color and the other half of the world is stripey, just like the logo. Um, yeah. I think it looks pretty cool, but you should go check it out and see what you got. So the last item, Bill. And the last item is a flag, the uh, podcast flag. So a field uh, divided, like a, um, the, the top half is black and the bottom half is white. 
and then a 12-pointed star in the middle mm-hmm. in red. Now, there had to have been changes for this. Like, Teespring don't offer legit flags. They only offer wall tapestries, which this is. Uh, so they didn't offer it in the correct aspect ratio. Um, okay. Which should be 16 to 9, but it's I can't remember what it is. Uh, so that that is, that is change for this, obviously. Uh, and you can't see it in the preview there. But the, the the background field has the curved white planet thing on it. It's just the way of the perspective works. It looks like it's just horizontally divided, but it's not. It's it's, oh. it's exactly like the 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 podcast flag we talked about before, except the aspect ratio has changed. Fantastic. Um, now, very cool. B- Bill, if it's okay with you, what I would like to do because I'm kind of I whenever I go shopping places or do anything, I'm always. Uh, I always get like anxious when there's way too much choice. Mm-hmm. Uh, like uh, what's it called? It's um something paralysis. Oh, like option paralysis. Choice paralysis, I think. Say again. Choice paralysis. Yeah, something or like that. And analysis I just... paralysis is <laughs> something like that. And I always, it always, I always don't like that when I go places. Uh, and like you know, I'd like to try and curate this store. Uh, based on like my likes and stuff. So I'm, we're not going to have a store that's going to be pages and pages long, full of loads of things to buy. Um, mm-hmm. What I would like to do is keep like a core line, which would be like the coat of arm t-shirts and the podcast logo t-shirts. Um, mm-hmm. And then every month or so when a new podcast comes out and Bill has said another silly thing, we'll swap in uh, newer Excuse merch. me. <laughs> Excuse you. <laughs> I never said they were silly things. I said they were ridiculous things. <laughs> They're ridiculous even. Uh, but we'll swap in new stuff. So if it's okay with Bill, what I would like to do is the Betamax Crinkadash shirts, the cup and the flag. Uh, we're going to leave them up for this month. So from now to the airing of the next podcast episode, those are up and available if you want to grab them. Uh, after that, they're going to go away. If there's insane demand or stuff, we, we're able to bring them back. But ideally, we'd like yeah. to just refresh things. So that's... If Bill's okay with that, that's what we're going to do. Uh, I mean, we can talk more about it off air, but that sounds fine by me, yeah? Yeah, exactly. And because, again, because having loads of stuff on a store is kind of just, I don't know, it feels like all you're doing is just trying to get as much money out of people as well. Like, here, I have everything. You you will find something you like. Give me all your money, you know? Like, so keeping it minimal is, I think, better. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. Go check it out uh, if you can, if you can afford it, and if you can spare it. Uh, please consider buying merch. Um, the the best way of supporting uh, internet creators is to do it uh, directly through either like Patreon uh, donations or through merch, uh, because we get bigger cuts than things like ad revenue and and sponsorships and things like that. Um, so if you've been enjoying Artifexian uh, and you like the ridiculous things Bill says. Uh, consider picking up the merch. Links in the show notes. What do we got, Bill? You got anything to follow up on? A couple of fun things from Reddit this last month. Um, We were talking in the last episode about uh, South African currency. Mm -hmm. Uh, You had a... I can't remember, was it a... uh, However many rands, anyway. Hold on, on I'm getting it. Be prepared for noise. Um, we got, we got, hold on. Uh, 
so we got uh, 10 South African Rand, that's of the newer kind, and then of the old ones, uh, featuring your man with the amazing name, we got one South African Rand. Ah, okay. So, um, yes, featuring your man with the amazing name, that name, uh, Comer was telling us this, and he actually gave it in... Um, in IPA in both uh, Dutch and Afrikaans. Cool. Um, I'm going to attempt the 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 Dutch pronunciation. It seems slightly easier. I uh, think, Bill, I think you should attempt it because there's a high probability it may be turned into merch. I'm just going to move on. <laughs> no. Um, Jan Antonsson van Riebeck. Something like that. Cool. But turns out it's actually not a portrait of him. Oh, the plot thickens. Yeah. He he actually had left the Cape in the 1660s to go do colonialism in Indonesia instead. Um, and he had never had an official portrait done in Cape Town. This is what Colmer tells us. And later, when historians searched the archives of the estate, they found several portraits, five portraits, and they chose this one as the portrait of... Uh, Van Riebeck but it's actually not him it was just some other guy and they thought it was him and they used that as the picture of him for 300 years <laughs> 350 years that's amazing uh, is, uh, like if if this portrait was included in the estate was it someone close to Riebeck like a brother or something or was it just was it just some randomer like did he just pick up uh, some art somewhere and was like oh yeah that, let me that, check that, let me reread the article and see I mean it, it could be I hope it's just some random. I hope Jan just picked up a painting and was like, "Oh, I like the cut of that guy's jib," and then it 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 becomes him for hundreds of years. It was probably of another Dutchman named Bartholomeus Vermuden. Hmm. So then, not probably. That's class. I enjoy that. <laughs> I mean, like it might have just been a painting he owned, you know. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, he just your man Jan just picked up something in a market somewhere, and then people were yeah. like. That's that that's Jan right there. We found an estate. It must be Jan. That's that's hilarious. Do your exactly. research, lads. Um. So that, I thought that was kind of fun. Um. And you know that's that's world building relevant. Things can be wrong in real life, so it's always mm-hmm. adds a bit of realism for people to make mistakes like that in your fictional settings. For sure. Yeah. yeah for sure. Um. And um. The other. Good comment we got, a uh, particularly good comment I want to bring up was from um, Gugu0202. Gugu0202, rolls right off uh, the tongue. <laughs> and they were talking about uh, what you brought up in the last episode about Kanlangs in China. Mm-hmm. Gugu is a Hong Konger, um, and they say high fantasy and uh, sci-fi are genres that aren't really a thing in, in Chinese culture. Oh, sorry, high, fi- high fantasy and sci-fi fantasy are genres that aren't really a thing in the Chinese culture. Um, I know that science fiction is, because the three-body problem was pretty big in the last few years. That's a, I'm pretty sure it's originally written in China. But anyway. Oh. Um, uh, there exist Kanlang communities in mainland China which focuses on Kanlangs, but because of how different the language works and due to the traditional Chinese way of studying or researching the Chinese language, Kanlanging is very different than what we Anglophones have an impression of. 
most of the conlangs I see from those communities are just word for word. Um, so I, I asked a bit more about that, and it's not. they said it's not exactly a cipher, but it's just kind of um, fusing Chinese, Japanese, Korean, and sometimes European languages together and adding Japanese particles or changing the verbs slightly. But they, they don't create new things whole cloth. They kind of mash other stuff up. Well, seems that's interesting. What, seems to be what Gugu is saying. Hmm. Um, they know of uh, two logographic conlangs. One is called um, Vekkan, um, and it also has a name in uh, what looks like a mixture of um, Chinese characters and Japanese characters. I can, I, can, I can never remember what the different Japanese uh, scripts are. I can never remember their names. Um, but anyway, this is a, a Sino, there is a Sino character script, a Romanization, a Katakanaization, and of course a conscript for this language, they say. And there's another one here, which is just given in, the name is just given in logographic characters. So I don't know how to say that, but I'm going to go, just put that name into Google and see, do we get any, no, we don't really get anything. Um, I, I can, I can permalink to it in the show notes if anyone's interested. Hold on. I'm going to put it into Google Translate and see if the, if the robot will say it. We, while you're doing that, we also got um, a couple of people, uh, I think, said that uh, David J. Peterson has a logographic writing system for one of his conlangs. Um, forgive me if I got that wrong. I'm just going on what I remember from, from the Reddit. And I think someone said that Mark Rosenfelder of Language Construction Kit and the Advanced Language Construction Kit fame also has logographic systems for uh, Almia, I think, is one of his conlangs. Um Again, forgive me if I'm wrong. Go, you can go check out the Reddit for uh, for this show. Um, um, yeah, so that was um, uh, Son of What said that uh, David J. Peterson made X, which is cool. an ographic conlang without a spoken language. Oh. So it's a, a purely written language. Oh, cool. Which is interesting. And Rosenfelder made multiple logographies for, yes, for Almea. Cool. So um, I remember that correctly. Um, okay, so the, the the pinion for this... No, I don't know if this is meant to be pronounced in, in like, as Mandarin or whatever, but um, the pinion seems to say Sheng Zhu Yu. Um, let's see what the robot says. Oh, that wasn't too, ba- too far off. Yeah, you weren't too bad. You weren't too bad. I hope, I hope that makes sense to someone. Uh, in terms um, of like, I hope someone knows that conlang. Right? Everyone's just sitting at home being all like, "I don't know what to talk about." Like, yeah, well, look, look you can you can put the you can put the the characters in in the show notes or something. Um, and apparently, if you translate it from Mandarin, it just means city proverb. Um, uh, yeah, but isn't isn't Google Translate like hilariously bad at non Indo European languages? Almost certainly. Yeah. Now, yeah. I, I, my experience of Korean, it was kind of like the again. I'm not in any way um, uh, fluent or adept at Korean, but it was like it was immediately obvious that Google Translate was like utterly useless uh, for being in Korea, and not not to the same extent where like you know, if you use Google Translate when you're traveling in like Poland or whatever, it kind of all just works fairly well. But yeah, disaster in the east. Um, well, oh, oh. Did- podcast title disaster in the east or maybe that's a bit that might be a bit loaded given the history of what's happened with disastrous events in the east so maybe not um i'll walk i'll walk that one back <laughs> um 
Do you want to hear something that I I'm confident must be Google Translate related, but is very slightly rude? No. Okay. <laughs> I love doing that with you because no, it's, it's fine. Like, you don't have to like it's because <laughs> you always you always going all right, and then you're willing to sit through silence to make the other person suffer in, in a way that no, other people like, aren't. Like, move what? on. Like, what's what's next on the on the show? <laughs> He's already um. moving on. <laughs> I would like I I don't want to hear, but I'm sure the listeners will build you want to proceed. Um so as I don't think I told you this, but uh this this element of my South American trip, but as you know, I was in South America and mm-hmm. um I think I told you that we went to see Christ the Redeemer. Yeah. Um and there's there's quite there's like a a couple of shops and stuff around like near the base of like where you disembark from the from the bus um before you actually go up to to see the the statue um Mm -hmm. and we had come back down and we'd gone into the the cafe there and i had gone to use the bathroom um and in the bathroom there was a sign you know like don't throw the the hand towels down the toilet that kind of thing you know that sort of thing that always happened in 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 public spaces yeah um but it also said uh and bear in mind that this was like a a few dozen yards away from jesus it said on the sign don't piss on the floor but wait hang on but what, but that's 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 valid like why did, what's the relevance of jesus being nearby or not <laughs> like it's just it's a very crude way to put that on a <laughs> like a sign and, and I assumed it would have just been like Google translated and the connotation hadn't been the same in or whatever. And that's like how it came out because, because the way Google translate works, it's very easy to, for that kind of thing to happen. Um, uh, okay. So if it said, don't urinate on the floor, you'd be okay with it. Like that's proper given the company of Jesus. Well, I mean, I'm, I, I'm not bothered either way. It just seemed incongruous. <laughs> it does a bit. It does a bit to be fair. Um, yeah. Google translate could be a disaster um, to be fair. But uh, yeah, so uh, anything else on the on the Sino Conline thing? Um, no, I think that's I think that's that. Uh, uh, if I may, uh, we got a piece of physical mail. Oh uh, yeah, that's not Bank of Artifacts related, so I'm going to put it here. Um, it comes from a chap called Gabriel. Uh, and he opens with a dear Mister Edward Runewald. Uh, I'll I'll let that slip. Um, he says, happy 100,000 subscribers. My name is Gabriel. Then he tells me a bit about, tells us a little bit about uh, where he's from. Not going to mention that because I don't want to dox the poor guy because uh, he's only 12-ish because he's in, in sixth grade. Um, he said he started watching the videos with the flag video. Uh, his school's flag has Comic Sans, which is terrible and it should be changed. You should campaign, uh, Gabriel. Um, but from there, went on to linguistics videos and then started watching the whirlwind videos. Uh, he subscribed on two two counts, and he sent in in this uh, letter two uh, cardboard flags, like artifacts in podcast flags, and said, "Would you mind signing them and uh, sending them back so he could raise money for his school?" And I was like, "Yeah, totally." And I was all all I signed them and was all ready to post them. And then I realized that this letter is dated September fourth, two thousand and eighteen. Now. I don't oh. know what's wrong with the postage system in, you know, Britain and uh, US or the connections between those countries because I get my mail delivered to Britain before here. Um Oh yeah. Because of the because of the uh, like the PO box type thing. Uh but it took like 6 months. Um 
which is a long time. So I think, I feel like the reason why I'm bringing this up is I feel like we may have missed the window to, to contribute to the funding of, of Gabriel's school here. So I thought the least I could do was read out the letter and say, Gabriel, we did get it. It didn't get lost in the mail. It just took a horrifically long time. If you're still doing fundraising for the school, um, uh, send us an email and uh, we'd be more than happy to sign it. Just be aware that it may take another six months <laughs> to get these flags to you. So I uh, just heads up. And, um, uh, and yeah, and he, he says, oh yeah, the reason why he wrote as well is that the teacher was like, you should try and write to a famous person, uh, or a person who's your hero. And he says that, uh, I am both, which is really cute. Um, and he said, you opened up a new window in my life. Uh, so it's the least uh, I could do. Uh, thank you for reading Gabriel out. So again, Gabriel, I'm really sorry that the post is just completely messed things up. If we can make something happen, we will leave us an email. Yeah. For sure, for sure. Great to hear from you, Gabriel. Um, and oh, and while I'm at it, I might as well do my plug. If anyone wants to contribute to the Bank of Artifacts, yeah, there was no contribution this month, which again was just totally fine. But if anyone uh wants to, uh, I'll leave my PO box in the show notes, and I'll also leave the map of all the countries that I have received money from. So if you're like, oh my god, I have um. Uh, North Korean currency or something, and he doesn't have North Korean currency, I might write him in. Write us a letter, we'll read it out on air, and my my little collection will thank you for it. Mm-hmm. Class, yeah. Cool. All right, uh, last thing uh, I want to talk about is that in the last show, uh, you mentioned that we were talking about reboots. I was giving out about mm-hmm. reboots. And you said you had thoughts on reboots, uh, and we said we'd save it for this this episode. So do you still have those thoughts, and do you want to share them? Um. Yes. Okay. You were very you were very anti-reboot from what you said the last day. I think that's safe to say, yes. Yeah. Um, I would have a more moderate feeling towards them. Can I, can I perhaps caveat my, my statement from the last, last show? It's too late. <laughs> I'm going to do it anyways. Okay, go on. <laughs> uh, the, like, if, if someone were to reboot something and it was truly brilliant, then like, I, I have room in my worldview to allow uh, for something brilliant to come through. Like, I'm not saying that all reboots are automatically crap. I just dislike the practice of it. Do you know what I mean? But every so often, a great reboot will pop through, and I'm more than happy to concede and be like, that is a great reboot. Totally happy with that. Um, So I'm not kind of, like, um, zealous in in my stance here. But anyway, go on. Yeah. This touches a bit on stuff I said before uh, regarding the role of stories like modern stories, superheroes and things um, as being sort of like mythology, modern mythologies and having reboots allows you to tell new stories about a character and we know who that character is and the concept of the character doesn't need to be established, but we can tell a new story about that character without being weighed down by a previous movie or stuff that happened in other stories. Um, so like, let's, let's take the take um, Spider-Man, right? And there was way too many Spider-Man films. Absolutely. Um, and they kept, they kept, they've had three reboots or they've had, they've had three versions of it in, in 15 years or something, which wow. is far too many. Um, well, there was Tobey Maguire there was Andrew Garfield and there's Tom Hollander in the... No, not Tom Holland, sorry. Tom Hollander's an entirely different actor. There's Tom Holland in the um, MCU. Yeah. Um, 
but you couldn't have told the stories that Tom Holland is in. You couldn't have told the MCU stories um, with the Tobey Maguire or the Andrew Garfield Spider-Man because they had made choices with the character and they had gone directions that weren't compatible with what the MCU was doing. So from that point of view, it makes, it makes sense. And if you want to do something with um, Superman, then you don't want to be held back by all of the old Superman films. Um, So yeah, no, I I think that they, they serve a role there. They, definitely can can be overdone you can have too many of them and you can be too zealous about them or or they can they can happen too quickly um but i wouldn't say that there's they're in and of themselves a bad thing at all yeah okay i'd agree with that um i just think that sometimes they can be used uh for i i think your argument is quite a creative and artistic argument but i think sometimes studio heads um see them as a great way to just make more money with existing uh intellectual property you know um and i think when it's done like that and when it's obviously done like that we're just milking the cash cow then it's terrible uh but like i said if if someone makes a great reboot i'm more than happy to have that reboot slip through my net of like i dislike these reboots um and and i think yeah again i've said it before i think i always err on the side of just newness in general though like if i like, why tell another story through Spider-Man? Why not make up a new superhero? Do you know? Um, and th- I kind of, my brain naturally defaults to like, I want to hear about something. Uh, I want to learn about something yeah. completely new. Uh, but that's just me. Obviously, the opinions opinions differ something serious. Um, on the subject of MCU, have you have you watched all of the MCU? Have you finished uh, the thing? I've never, seen, I've never seen Hulk, actually, which is the... Edward North, the very first one, I think, technically. The um, wait, no, hang on, no, wait, hang on, with the one with Edward Edward Norton. Uh, yes. So it's that's I I know this because I tried watching the MCU. Uh, it is not the very first MCU one. That would be Iron Man. Did that come up after Iron Man? Uh, yeah, because in at the end of the Hulk, okay, uh, your man Stark comes in. You know the thing that happens at the end of every movie where someone from another movie comes in. Um. That occurs yeah. in the Hulk. So Iron Man has already been established. And I think he's had two movies uh, uh, before the Hulk. But I could be wrong about that. I, I can't remember. Um, Hold on. But it's definitely not the first. 100%. I'm willing to bet everything I own uh, on that. Uh, yeah, you're absolutely right. Boom. He keeps all his possessions. Yes. <laughs> so, yeah. So that was the... That's, that's the only one I haven't seen. Um, uh, yeah, I've heard it's not great. Um, the one before it with... Who's that Australian actor that came out around like two thousand and four? Was really bad, but that's not part um, of the the this this whatever cycle in the MCU. It's not part of the MCU, no. Yeah, that's um, not part of the MCU. Um, yeah, so you, but yeah, I'm 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 up to date on the MCU. Okay, so that. so what are your thoughts overall? Because I, I tried to get into it because loads of people have been saying like, oh, get into MCU, and I was like, okay, fine, I'm just going to sit down and we're going to just start at the start and watch all the movies, and I got to. What's the last thing we watched? Uh, Thor was the last thing we mm-hmm. watched. Uh, so we watched everything in chronological order up to Thor, and mm-hmm. it's man, I st- I still don't get it. It was it was a I don't I just I don't get the appeal. Like everyone's crazy about it, and I'm I'm very, I'm watching it. I'm coming at it really kind of like um, 
in, in good faith and being all like, I want to like this. I'm going to give this his best shot. And uh, I, I foresee, I foresaw myself really liking the whole like uh, large scale continuity and things like that. But it's just, I don't know, man. It just does nothing for me. And I'm baffled as to what it does for others. So, so what's it so do? What's it, what's it do you, for you? you? You saw four of the films then. Ah, no, surely more, because there's three Iron Men. There's the yeah, Hulk. Thor is the fourth one, I think. And that would make it the fifth man. <laughs> there's three Iron Men. There's, there's definitely three Iron Men before. The, the, but the three Iron Men didn't come out in a row. No, but it wasn't it something like, again, I'm just going off the top of my head. It wasn't something like Iron Man, Iron Man, Hulk, Iron Man. Some, some crack like that. No. All right. Iron Man, Hulk, Iron Man 2, Thor. <gasps> Where's Captain America? We watched Captain America as well. Captain America is after Thor, and uh, it is garbage. What what is after what is after Captain America? The Avengers. I oh no, I watched the Avengers a long time ago. Not part of this attempt. So technically, okay. I've gone up until the Avengers. That's the one where in that big ass ship, they all just they get around. There's a big ship, and there's it's very long. That movie, I seem to remember. Yeah, the heli carrier. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I watched that, but I don't really recall it. Uh, the 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 Captain America thing that was terrible. That was awful. Well, it's like it had a really strong concept about about the character like they they made him but then they didn't want to use him fighting they used him as propaganda and I was like that was brilliant that was really good and then it just turned into garbage from that point yeah i didn't like it like really? I, I i i i supported the going off and actually being a superior that was cool but like it's hydra was such awful villains in it and you don't you don't need to make worse nazis Nazis are sufficiently evil for any purpose, <laughs> and it's I find it kind of gross that they have like they they tried, they like the, the film kind of made them like the Nazis but worse. It's like you don't need to do that. Well, I mean, I, no, I realize Nazis are very bad, but in the but we're in superhero land here where everything is just more and like making the guy like be uh didn't he like he turned into some sort of like literal monster. Um, with with his big red face and all that sort of jazz, like yeah, red skull, yeah. Is that not just kind of fitting with the superhero thing of just like everything's just extra? Yeah, but I mean, and I know Hydra already exists in the comics, but there's something about the way they were framed in that film just really put me off. Do you know? Do you know what put me off? Um, the the C, the poor CGI on your man, Captain America, when he's meant to be all thin and stuff. <laughs> like his head looks like it doesn't it doesn't fit on his body. I kept expecting it to just <laughs> fall over. You know you know the way like if you know if you know the way you're meant to hold the baby's head, otherwise it'll just like flop. <laughs> <laughs> I kept thinking about that when it's fair. And I couldn't I couldn't get into like the his character and story because I kept being distracted by these visuals like he just and also a, a thing I really hated about it and this isn't this isn't really a criticism this is just kind of a very eager thing I, I'm a very very skinny guy right and current, currently if anyone's interested I weigh 57 kilos which is like uh, that's 104 ish pounds and I have no idea what that is in stone I, I can't do that conversion in my head um, which is light. It's very light. Um, and that's fine. I'm a runner and that's class. Uh, but it, Pretty much bang on nine stone. Bang on nine stone. So I'm nine stone. Uh, 104-ish pounds, 57 kilos. Anyway, in Captain America, he's obviously very skinny. And I would say that the body he has before he gets all ripped is very akin to my body. And the entire way through, they were just like, you're not strong enough. You're like, you're not, you're not a real man. Like they kept referring to him as being like frail and weak. And I'm like, 
pal. Like there are those of us that have slender fl- frames, right? That like do amazing physical things. Like I would argue running a marathon is an amazing physical endurance thing. And most people who do that are like not don't have the build of Captain America when he's buff. And it just, it really irked me, this sort of, like, weakness sort of thing. As if, like, strength is tied to to body mass. And that's, it is a bit, but strength is also, like, willpower and uh, a mental thing. It just, that annoys Yeah, me. and he has, he does have that, though. I mean, he very explicitly does have that. Oh, no, he does. No, uh, sorry, my, my grievance is with every other character around him who just continuously... Oh, yeah hammers home that he is weak and i'm like all these characters need to shut up just stop like <laughs> yeah uh, i mean I, I i feel like that's part of the point but yeah that is absolutely fair uh but anyhow so so back to question hand because we got derailed there what, what is it about the mcu is it that 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 made you watch all the films and i'm assuming you enjoyed enjoyed most of the films so what's what is most it what's them, drawing yeah. what am i missing here um I don't know. I mean, I really like um, I really like Robert Downey Jr. as Iron Man. I think he's a very fun character. No, Iron Man Two is a pretty bad film. Um, I will grant. Okay. Um, but I like that character. Um, and I just I don't know. It's the first time it's been done on that kind of scale that the stories would interact on to that extent. And I all I've I've wanted that for a long time out of out of um superhero media and it deals a lot with what i find difficult in superhero comics in that the stories i I can't take a story where um magneto is gonna blow up america or whatever um and the x-men are the only people that can stop him because that world also contains spider-man and the fantastic four and the Avengers, and I find that not addressed so often, um, that it kind of it, it, it kind of puts me off. And I know that's not the spirit of things, but just, it, the 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 medium doesn't really work for me sometimes because of that. Well, and I, this, the MCU addresses that. How? Because they are all interacting. They do interact with each oh. other. Oh, oh, okay, okay, okay. But I mean, it's still. Mm. No, no, that's fair. I was about to say, um, it still leaves the problem that if all of these uh, superheroes are interacting with one another, their combined strength makes for a very uh, formidable defense. And I was like, you'd want to build up a pretty uh, substantial uh, enemy, but I believe your man, the purple dude, is very substantial. Yeah. Yeah. So I suppose that, that that's okay then. If, if they have, if they're all interacting, their combined strength is there, you need to just create a suitable villain. And if that is done, yeah. that's okay. And I think because it's, uh, you know, it's it's 10 years old or whatever, um, and it's happened, you know, reasonably close to real time, which is another gripe that I have with comics, that it, it has this sort of like sliding comics time thing that... Um, Again, isn't really that big a deal, but it's just it's a personal thing that I find hard to to engage with. Wait, wait, can, um, sorry, sorry. Can you define sliding comic time? I don't know what you're talking about. Like Spider Man meets Wolverine, right? In a comic, right? And they, you know, that maybe it crosses over in both their individual titles, and then they go off and they have their their individual things, and they don't interact, and they interact again in three in three years of com- of like real time later, like thirty six issues later, um, mm-hmm. and in that time. Spider-Man has had uh, a really, like, say, like, two really personal 
introspective stories that where you know the events of a few days are spread out over a long arc of maybe 10 episodes um and Wolverine has had all these like long shots where he like does loads of traveling and maybe he's like in a coma for a while so entirely different amounts of time have passed uh, for okay. each character but then they interact again and that happening on the whole scale and that the fact that comics have to be slower than real life um anyway because of how they're they're produced and the kind of stories that they tell um yeah it just it's it's I, I my mind wants to like make that match up in a plausible way and I can't okay so so the TLDR on your on your viewpoint so far is um it's it's the framework of this story appeals to you in terms of like the, the continuity the long scale storytelling and yeah well, that, that, that's part of it. Yeah, that's, that's part okay. of why, why I enjoy them. But also, I enjoy a lot of the individual films in it as well. I mean, the the, the Guardians of the Galaxy are just loads of fun. Oh, no, I have seen Guardians of the Galaxy as well. Sorry. I've also seen yeah. Black Panther. But I was when I, earlier when I was kind of like, I've only watched whatever, four or five of them. Uh, that was specifically in reference to this concerted effort to just yeah. watch them through. Yeah. Um, I'm pr- oh, and I'm pretty sure I've seen one movie with the purple dude on the plane. Um. Lots of lots and lots of people died in that film. Uh, if that means anything, I don't know. Whatever film that was, I only watched part of it though because I fell asleep. Um, when was this? Was it in the last year? I th- maybe I think I might have watched it on the way out to LA. So then, yes, within the past like six that months, was or probably so. that was probably Infinity War. Okay, there. <laughs> Excellent. Thanks, Bill. <laughs> um, um, yeah. See, what's mad is, I don't wanna, we've already been going for 40 minutes, so I need to wrap this up fairly, fairly quickly. But what you were saying, like those are things that uh, also should appeal to me. Uh, but they just there's something about the films that just makes me not fall in love with them. Uh, so it must be, I'm imagining what it must be is just the individual films for me just aren't gripping enough. Uh, aren't gripping to the extent where uh, I care about them and can feed into the long the long arc and things like that. So I don't know. I might give it another pop um, because it's a, it's a big cultural thing. And I feel like I should be partaking in the cultural thing. Um, but sure, we'll see. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I enjoy it. Um, Spider-Man is a good one. Uh, which Spider-Man? Spider-Man Homecoming. So that's the... Okay, no. I, I liked what they did with him when we we're talking about the reboots here because they didn't bother giving him an origin story or like a, an establishment film because everyone knows Spider-Man. I mean, come on, we all know, like for f- sake, like we all know what Spider-Man is. We don't need to. I'm gonna take that again. For God's no, sake, no, we all I'll know just, Spider-Man. Just, like we don't need to. I'll just beep to... you, man. I'll just beep you. It's fine. Um, we all know Spider-Man. We don't need another story establishing Spider-Man. Um, so he just turns up in Civil War. Uh. And is a character in Civil War, and then he gets his own film a few films later, and it's just it's it's a high school film where the main character is Spider Man, and that's all it is, and it's great. Yeah, that that sounds like something that it could actually be fun. Uh, that sounds like mm. kind of fun, um, especially if you like high school films. Yeah, for sure, for sure, and superhero films like it's a match made in heaven. Uh, I really dug um, the, the the that other Spider Man. It, it came out relatively recently. Um, uh, with the it had all the extra Spider-Man it was an animated thing uh, oh, into, oh, into into the Spider-Verse that, I haven't seen that man that was great 
that was so good. It had everything I really liked. It had like an innovative art style. Like I love my aesthetics. I love just like pictures on screen. And it was really pretty. Um, and Colors, um, shapes. I don't want, I'm a super All fan. that stuff. I just, I just want to watch my pretty pictures. But it was really great. Uh, and it, I really liked the way they, they drew on how comic books were made. And that fed into how the artwork was created, which was amazing. I thought the story was cool and fun um, and really riveting and as well I like really like the soundtrack because one of my favorite artists at the moment is Post Malone and he is on uh, the soundtrack um, it's got a song called Sunflower with Post Sway Malone Lee. is one of your favorite artists I man I have I've come to just adore Post Malone I think what's happened was that I, I kind of uh, was intrigued by him as a character because he's this weird mishmash of contradictions um, and then kind of learned about him through his character and then was like, oh, I must check out his music. And I began to listen to it and I was like, I really dig it. I really like his music. Hmm. Which is semi-controversial because I think a lot of people are just kind of like, oh, it's mumble rap crap. Uh, but I, I don't know. It, it makes nice ear soundsing for me. It's all good. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's a great film. I really enjoy that. But that's not part of the, uh, the MCU thing. It's a whole different thing, isn't it? Yeah. Um, it, I is, really, yeah, it is. I really enjoyed it. Um, but anyway, 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 we must move on. Let's let's move on. <laughs> that was follow up. <laughs> so we usually start uh, with some world building in the writers' room. Um, but this month, I want to start with uh, my video, the last video I released, uh, called "How to Design Realistic Climates Part One." Uh, the reason why I put myself first here is that shock horror, I don't really have anything to talk about. Uh, I went through the comments on Reddit, uh, like on my subreddit, the world building subreddit, the map making subreddit. Links to all of these are in the show notes, by the way. Um, on Twitter, under the YouTube video. And there isn't really anything for me to talk about, which is kind of like, it's a bit stunning. Uh, and I'm kind of like, holy God, did I did I do a good job here? This is brilliant. Um, and most of the comments that came up, they can be answered had the co- uh, commenters watched the previous videos or something. So it's like, you never explained X and it was covered in like the Oceans video or the Winds video or something like that. Um, mm-hmm. So for the first time ever, I feel like this is like, I actually, like, I feel like it's a success. Like most of the time when I make something, I'm always like, ah, I see all the failures in it. And I'm like, oh, uh, I could have done this better. But this feels like it's genuinely like it worked, which is pretty cool. Um, so unless you have something to tear apart, Bill, we should we should probably head into world building. Um, I don't have anything to tear apart at all. I have one comment and one question. Go for it. Um, so my comment is... I had figured a lot. I had figured out a lot of where to put these uh, Koppen climate classification groups, just kind of by inspection. Like I'd, I'd planned out the the wind and ocean currents and like the latitudes and stuff, and looked at similar things on Earth, and just said, "Oh well, that's what the situation is there." So I'll just carry it across. But I didn't understand stuff like why you could have coastal deserts like the the Atacama or why the Sahara went right to the to the uh west coast and you explained that yes Edgar so thank you. yeah so <laughs> no like, I, I had been kind of puzzled by that uh, so that makes absolutely perfect sense to me now oh that's um, awesome oh, that man that genuinely fills me with great joy that's class <laughs> I'm glad <laughs> uh, what's uh what's the question 
Um, so the the degrees you use, like you know, degrees north or south, um, those figures are based on an uh, an axial tilt the same as Earth's, right? Yeah, I, I say roughly the same. Like, think sure. of it like uh, Earth's axial tilt with like error bars a couple of degrees either side. You can fudge it a little bit, but yes, like Earth. Yeah. Um, but if it was to say like be 40 degrees um, of tilt instead of 30 degrees or whatever, would you just be able to increase everything by a third roughly and it would still be okay? Uh, okay, so I, I can't fully answer this because I need to do the research for part three because this is the topic of part three. Uh, in this okay. in this series, but from the the things I kind of instinctively know from like reading the world building subreddit for like years and things, um, is that you you can to a point uh, increase things um, and just kind of hand wave it like increase it by X amount and just you know just be all like it's like that because the the planet is tilted more or it's hotter or something like that. Uh, but there comes a point where um, you can't do that. So I think at about forty degrees of axial tilt. Um, you begin to have real like different consequences for biomes because there's so much seasonality on your world. Um, right. Because remember, the, the greater the tilt, the more kind of uh, seasonal variation there is. Conversely, the lower the tilt, the more everything just is kind of very samey um, throughout the year. Um, so at about 40, uh, what people say happens is that your planet is too seasonal to have biomes like rainforests that require uh, conditions to be hot and wet year round. Um, there's too much okay. seasonality so you will get effects like that and uh, I'm inferring here because again I've yet to fully do research on this I'm inferring that if there's too much seasonality for a rainforest there may likely also be too much seasonality for uh, deserts as well they won't be dry enough year round um, now I'm mm. inferring that and I don't know that for a fact so this Except is why maybe I... like very far in, in the interior of a continent would still yeah. be dry right Sure, yeah, but you wouldn't get, like, I, I'm speculating that if we had 40 degrees of axial tilt, the Sahara Desert may not span the entirety of North Africa. Um, yeah. But I don't, I, again, I need to stress, I do not know that for sure. I need to do a bit of research on that. Um, so, yeah, to answer your question, you can to a point, um, but up to, uh, at a certain point, it just becomes too uh, too varied to, to keep things Earth-like. Um, but this would be the topic of video number three. So the next stage is finding out what that point is. Yeah, and I can say this in advance. We we don't know because, again, like scientists are not busy spending their time answering these questions. They're answering real-world questions. So part three is going to be a whole lot of fudging. Like there, there does come a point where it's just <laughs> like you just need to – you need to be all like, okay, if I have a setup like, say, 40 degrees of axial tilt, what does that mean? Well, increase seasonality. Therefore, we could reasonably extrapolate these characteristics, which may or may not be true. We don't know because there's not a whole lot written. Um, so it's, yeah, there's, there's, I'm never going to be able to say at X point with regards to temperature or tilt or rotation rate or whatever, uh, you can expect this exact thing. That's just not a thing I'm able to do with biomes. And if someone has that, send me documents, please. Uh, but I've never been able to find anything super precise. Cool. Uh, which makes sense because we're out of the realm of just like neat mathematical equations. Um, and we're into the realms of kind of like artistic license takes over at this Absolute point. Absolute speculation. Absolute and utter speculation. But also, like I said, artistic license. There comes a point where you need to put away a little bit of the science and be all like, I want my deserts to be this sort of shape. Or uh, my planet's going to have this tilt and I want it to have this thing here. I can reasonably say that. And ergo, it's fine. 
Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, so th- does that answer your question? It does. Excellent, cool. Uh, so without further ado, uh, let's crack into a bit of world building. <laughs> the shortest, the short, man, that is the shortest segment segment we've ever done on Artifacts. Let it be known. I plow of, of any topic. <laughs> of, of any, in our, how long have we been in this? Like four years, five years? How many years? Many four years. years. Oh, it's been so long. It's been crazy. Um, can you imagine? I was, I was, how old was I? I was 25, I think, when we started this. 25, Bill. So you were 24 when you started the channel? Yeah, because it was, it was in 2014, uh, which means mm. I, was 20, I just turned 24. Um, yeah, and it was like a year later we did this, roughly. So I was 25. It's crazy. She didn't even know you were born. I know. <laughs> exactly. Anyhow, <laughs> Um Okay, uh, so this is something a little bit different this week. This Every episode every damn episode god damn it okay uh, that's possible 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 fodder for a t-shirt there bill i'm making a note this week (laughs) (laughs) okay this month for episode 41 i have done something a little bit different um i'm just going to crack into it and then we can talk about it afterwards I, i suppose it's worth it's worth noting or is it worth noting that this is not in Handwavia? This is not necessarily in Handwavia. Oh, wait, no. No, sorry. I said that wrong. It's not in Janspar. It's not in your one where you need to be all uh, tight-lipped about stuff. This is in the other setting. Oh, it's very much not in Janspar. Yes. Yeah. Um, so we're outside of the we're outside of um, of that realm, but something totally different this month. So do you want to crack into it now? Yeah. Cool. <clears throat> Extract from Fritas's Travels on the Narsine Sea. Lying in a sheltered harbour on the southern shores of the Narcinia is Naabeth, a city of some 200,000 souls. This city is a major centre of trade and travel, but it is known primarily not for its produce, nor its piety, nor its palaces, but for yet another reason. Naabeth has elevated the art of combat to its highest form. Where other cities have fighting pits, theatres dedicated to mutilation and bloodletting, Naabeth's sacred sands ensure death is rare for gladiators, and allow fighters to accumulate wisdom and experience over many years in the arena. Unlike most other lands, the gladiators of Naabeth are not enslaved. It is legally required that any who fight in Naabeth's arenas must be free and graduation from one of the city's gladiatorial academies grants citizenship of the city to the student. It is not uncommon for enslaved fighters, victorious in other cities, to escape to Naabeth, seek a sponsor for their manumission, and fight to a life as a free citizen. Naabeth is ruled by an assembly of diverse voices, holders of traditional offices both ceremonial and practical, the heads of aristocratic families, and elected representatives of the free people of the various districts. The city holds dominion over a large area of lesser cities, villages, and several nomadic bands, none of whom have direct voices on the assembly, 
but are nonetheless considered to have some influence to those of their kin resident in the city's districts. Unique to Nabethi gladiatorial culture are the sacred sands, blessed earth scattered upon the field of combat and imbued with life-preserving magic. Only the most grievous of blows will truly fell a combatant in a Nabethi bout, though particularly bitter opponents may agree to fight without this facility and chance the death of their rival, or themselves. The most famed gladiators fight in great arenas, of which there are three in Nabeth. The premier of these is on the grounds of an ancient temple, the cult of which is long forgotten. But it is here that the earth for the sacred sands must be gathered, and from here that they draw their power. This arena, known to Nabethi as the Temple of the Sands, is where the final combat in the annual games takes place. While in other cities, a single style of combat may be favoured. Wrestling or spear fighting, or dueling with daggers and whips. In Nabeth, combatants of all disciplines can be found in the ring. The gladiators are figures of public fame and renown among the Nabethi, often far more than their own politicians and elders. Indeed, the politicians and the gladiators may often form alliances, Political factions seek the support of popular athletes and stables of successful gladiators in exchange for sponsorship. The current grand champion, however, Kasuta, is known for her relative indifference to politics. Visitors to Naabeth are advised to attend a gladiatorial bout, if not at the Temple of the Sands or the other two great theatres, then the lesser combats that may take place in marketplaces, temple yards or other diverse locations. Some fans of blood sports in other cities are known to express that the reduced chance of death in Nabeth's arenas makes for a less skillful bout or a less exciting spectacle. It is wise to keep such opinions unexpressed among the Nabethi. Very cool. Thank you. Very cool. Now, there's some extra documents here, which we're going to get into in a second. But if it's okay with you, Bill, uh, I shall start my interrogation. Go for it. Uh, has there been like any MMA events going on of late that have made you want to write about fighting? Because I know you're an MMA, uh, MMA fan. No. no. It's just a thing. You just were like, oh, I'm going to write about this. Uh, yeah. Um, I've had this idea for a while. We'll, we'll get into that as we go. Okay, all right. Um, my main thing is, I suppose, okay, here's one thing I need clearing up. I don't know what a manumission is. You, you say it here, it is not uncommon for enslaved fighters, victorious in other cities, to escape to Nabeth, seek a sponsor for their manumission, and fight to, free, uh, fight to a life as a free citizen. Manumission is to be freed from slavery. Oh, so like, like emancipation, like similar route or whatever. Uh... Oh, probably, actually, yeah. Hmm, interesting. I just never came across that word before. Um, yeah. Okay, so the only other thing, really, is that, one, I think the world building here is class. Thank you. Because I love the way it turns the idea of the fighters being slaves on its head. And then, mm -hmm. like, not only does that, but also, like, gives complexity to the fighters. Like, you say that the, the current champion, like, the, the fighters are, like, um, they are characters that have political influence in the world. But the current champion isn't really bothered about that so it's like it, it's kind of very complex uh, which is really mm. cool and it's a really nice move away from kind of like gladiator style uh, things where it's like rich people dominate the poor people who fight to the death 
Um, mm-hmm. So I think that's really nuanced and really cool. Thank you. Um, the the sacred sands idea again. I think it's a wonderful bit of world building. Uh, the whole idea that like fighters can't die, so it becomes more about skill. But then people also say that it's not that skillful because you can't die. So it's like it's very complex. Really enjoy that, and and that's and that's kind of that's kind of my responses to it. It's just yeah, I love the idea of the fighting bits, love the idea of the sacred sands, and love the uh, the complexity of the character you put forward. Oh, thank you. Um, I'm sorry, I don't have more to say about it. <laughs> no, no, that's 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 all great to hear. Um, uh, what was going to say? Yeah, the thing about the about the politics, um, mm-hmm. that's inspired in part by uh, well, more sort of Byzantine than uh, Roman history. Um, there were originally four, and later became kind of only two main uh, factions in. Uh, Byzantium, which had an influence on politics. They, they function a little bit like kind of political parties um, and they were based around chariot racing. They were based around oh. chariot racing teams, yeah. And there was an event, um, I think I think an emperor nearly got deposed over I can't remember the, the, the conflict wasn't about the, the sport but it was sparked by a disagreement between supporters of the blue faction and the green faction. Um, and it's led to like a, a, a sort of a brief civil war and all these riots in Byzantium. And I think, I think it was Justinian briefly lost the throne um, or oh, came very close to losing the throne or something. Oh, that's really cool. I didn't realize there were any real world precedent for what you wrote. That's cool. Yeah. And the thing, I mean, like in, in Rome, um, gladiators were uh, slaves, as far as I know, but they were, to a degree, kind of like professional athletes, and they were celebrities. So they, while they were, while they weren't free for the most part, as far as I understand, they did have a, a huge status, and they were. Um, I actually read this the other day. They would be asked to give endorsements to products. And this was meant to be in the Ridley Scott film, um, Gladiator, you know, the Russell Crowe film. Mm-hmm. They they had originally written a thing that like a gladiator would come out and say, buy this guy's flower or whatever. But it was removed because it was, it would have been seen as unrealistic, even though it was real and historically accurate. They, they figured audiences wouldn't buy it. So they, they took it out. Oh, I had um, no idea. That is... Yeah, that that seems so against everything we think uh, ancient Rome is. That's crazy. Rampant capitalism, yeah. capitalism in the ancient world. Holy God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, apparently so. Um, they 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 had quite a quite a high status um, at, at times in in certain contexts, uh, but they they were famous and they were celebrated, um, despite not actually being free, as far as I understand, and. There was, um, oh yeah, I, I think it was the the emperor that's in in Gladiator, um, Joaquin Phoenix. Joaquin, Joaquin Phoenix uh, is his name. Gladiator character. It's not Coriolanus. That was a totally different guy. Um, no, no, that that's that's uh, your man finds Voldemort. Yes, yeah, yeah. Commodus. That was it. Um, who was a historical character who did fight as a gladiator? He he was obsessed with with the with the Colosseum. Wait, so so, the, so hang on. So the emperor in Gladiator fought 
as a gladiator. Yeah, like he does that in in the film. Oh God, it's been um, years. He, I can't remember. He he fights Maximus, um, but he he did that in real life as well. He was obsessed with with the games, and and he would fight in the ring, um, and he was actually he was murdered in real life. He was murdered by his trainer, who was a professional gladiator. He was like a, a famous wrestler, and conspirators like bribed him to to murder the emperor. So the emperor was like taking a bath or something, and and the the um the the assassin whose name I can't remember I was I was reading about this the other day um narcissus that was it Arius narcissus Stark. who who was a a famous gladiator like just went in and like strangled him in the bath huh what a terrible way to go man I'm so glad we're in the bath what at least you're in the bath like the baths are nice yeah but like I'm assuming he taught himself as a man of high stature and to die in the bath is a bit kind of like of all the ways to go. <laughs> Um, I'm really glad we don't live in the ancient world. You know, people, this is not a new take or anything, but loads of people are like, they romanticize the past and like, oh, wouldn't it be great to be alive then? And the answer is a resounding no. Like at no point in my life, like let's say I become like really internet famous, right? At no point do I need to worry that that fame might get me assassinated, right? Like, because <laughs> we live in a modern society. Think? And it's like, I, can't, I, can't, I don't even know what, I can't even comprehend how terrible life must have been back then. It's awful. They didn't have dentists. Dentists? Yeah, I mean, like, I think we under underappreciate, like, how good actually having, like, people to take care of your teeth is. Yeah, begrudgingly. I mean, yeah, oh yeah, like it's not like going to the dentist is a pleasant experience, but the fact of dentistry is very positive. That's fair. You know, uh, fun anecdote. Uh, I I really enjoy going to the dentist. The thing I don't like about going to the dentist is the fact that they make you hand over horrific amounts of money. Like that's the bit I don't want. But like <laughs> the actual like you're in the chair now and we're going to start grinding your teeth away. D- genuinely, man, I find it very therapeutic because they numb you. Like there's obviously there's the pain of the initial in- um, numbing injection and that's not comfortable. But once you're yeah. numb and they're busy drilling away, if you can block out of your head what's going on uh, and kind of like almost like do a little bit of mindfulness while you're there, you just it's almost like getting an internal massage. Like your your skull is slowly vibrating very gently back and forth. And like I've been known to oh, literally geez. just fall asleep in the dentist just because it's so relaxing to me, which is which is the thing is every time I tell that someone, they're like, you're mental. Stop. <laughs> Hard agree. <laughs> Hard agree. <laughs> Um, what was it I was listening to an episode of the Irish History Podcast which by the way for anyone who who doesn't know or who's interested in uh, Irish history um, you should check out this podcast it's made by this Irish chap who does tours around Dublin it's a really great podcast and I thoroughly thoroughly suggest that you go check it out Um, I was listening to it the last day anyways and he talked a bit about um, what life in the early middle ages was like in Ireland and he brought up this point that uh, the way flour or something was made uh, here, or maybe everywhere in the Middle Ages, but specifically in Ireland, um, the process of making it left behind grit um, in the flour. So when they went mm-hmm. to eat the bread or whatever, it was like you were eating bits of ground up stone. And apparently uh, tooth health uh, in, in, the ancient, in the medieval Ireland was like horrific. As in, like, people had, like, it was not uncommon to have, like, just massive abscesses, just things growing on your teeth, teeth falling out, like, and it just, the way he paints the picture, I'm kind of like, oh, God, oh, it sounds so bad. 
sounds terrible. I had never even considered, like, I obviously I always thought that, like, without toothpaste and, you know, toothbrushes, obviously dental health would be worse. But I never thought that, like, you know, they'd be eating bits of stone and things mm-hmm. uh, and it just completely wrecked their health, which is just horrific. The ancient world is horrific, TLDR. Yep. <laughs> Um, no disagreement to, here to go back to this for a second because like, i just spotted one of my underlying thing another bit of world building i really enjoy and it's only a little throwaway line but i i really like it i think people should uh, try and do this more in their writings is you mentioned that there's the, there's the temple uh, mm. from which the sacred sands come uh from but i really like the idea that you wrote the cult of which i.e the temple has long been forgotten like it's a really good bit of world building it's like there was something there before this world has grown and evolved and moved past it and people just use this facility without knowledge of what came before. I think yeah. that's brilliant. Really good. Thank you. And not expla- and not explained. You hid the world building there. Like I don't know if you know what that cult is or whatever, but if you do, you hid it and that's class. There's um, a big influence on how I thought about history and, and, and thought about world building. Um, I, may, I don't know, I might have mentioned this before, um, you know the the total war games. Oh, vaguely. Uh, so they're they're like a kind of grand strategy. Uh, or do they count as grand strategy? I don't know. They're they're games. They're across a, a couple of different historical eras. Uh, the very first one is um, feudal Japan, and then there's like a, a Rome total war, medieval total war, and so on. Mm. Um, there's an expansion or a mod for one of the Rome. Uh, total wars um the name of which has gone out of my head right now but it was made by like real hardcore history geeks so it's like and... it's, it's like ancient rome sponsorship ancient rome branding pack <laughs> um, oh, the name's just gone out of my head anyway it doesn't matter uh, europa barbarorum i think it's called ancient rome shilling <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> not at all. Um, and the, the the user license for installing this mod is by installing the software, the user agrees to read more history. Oh, yeah, that, that's that's all they ask for. <laughs> um, but I remember playing that years ago, and on pretty much every island uh, or pretty much every province that you you look at in the in the game has a historical note. So if you're in if you're in, um, say, Spain, part, like one of the provinces of Spain, they'll have a, a bit about who was there before the Roman. They'll have a bit about like the, the Celtiberians or they'll have a bit about the Carthaginian the colonization of uh, the, the peninsula, that kind of thing. And on every island or every like group of islands in the Mediterranean, there is something different from like the Stone Age or from the... the like Bronze Age that we don't really know that much about. They have them on Sicily, they have them on Corsica, and they have them in the Balearics. There are Stone Age or like late Bronze Age or something structures that we don't really know that much about the history of. Aliens. Um and I just think that's really interesting. And that like really made me think like how how deep history is and how complex it is that in Roman times they had this old stuff <laughs> even oh, yeah. in roman times there was this old stuff there um, yeah. and that's been a big influence in how i think about how i build worlds there's always another bit behind and people are always people and there's something there yeah and and that old stuff like should not be explained um it should just be like we we've lost it we don't know what this is anymore 
Yeah, um, or, you know, it, it it can be, but it doesn't have to be, and it's not any worse for not explaining it because well, it's better I mean, for not explaining it. Very like, often, yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. I know, I, I thoroughly agree. With that. I thoroughly agree. Um, and people uh, on the subject of that the disclaimer uh, or, or the um, agreement form on that game, uh, people mm-hmm. I think genuinely should read more history. Um, myself included, I've started like like I said that Irish history podcast. I've started to like get um, very interested in Irish history and Irish mythology and things like that. Um, and I, I think it's really important that people read history to understand where you come from and. Mm-hmm. Um, what the world was like before and to be a better rounded sort of person I'm not saying that to be judgmental because I don't do enough of it myself I'm saying this more for myself than anyone else um, mm-hmm. but I think it's a, and it's a fun endeavour as well like it's just story time except it really happened which is kind of cool yeah exactly uh, now on your um, <clears throat> have you got anything else to say about the actual prose uh, and if not can we move on to the other bits of text that the people might be, the, the, uh, the listeners might be reading right now going what the hell is this <laughs> um no i think i think i've i've gotten most of what i want out of the the actual recitation recitation um so so bill uh, before the, the before we aired uh bill sent me on this document and was like i'm going to read page one but page two and three i'm just going to put up for for people to be able to read um what's what's the context here right so we have this bit of prose but there's all this additional stuff what are you doing mm. what, what's going on so, I've had an idea in my head for ages now, for years at this stage, that I want to run an RPG, run a, run a campaign, where the players play as gladiators, but like you were commenting there, turn it around so that they're not slaves and they're not, it's not going to end in like a Spartacus revolt, that they're just professional athletes. And the, the sport that they're in is gladiatorial combat. Um, and I thought that could be a lot of fun both for just like flipping that 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 cliche and because you can make it like a like a film about boxing or like a film about sports and you know draw on those tropes instead um and i i've had that in my head for a long time and i decided that this week or jesus christ i decided <laughs> that this month um that's what i'd that's what i'd Right, I've, I've, I've been thinking a lot about gaming recently and about RPGs, and I, I wanted to get some of this out of my head and, and onto paper. So Nabeth is the, the city I've come up with if I ever do run this campaign. I, I still think we, we should try and aim to do at least some campaign, uh, at least some part of a campaign on the podcast. Um, yes, to, absolutely. To, to pull the veil back a little bit. Um, we mm-hmm. we mentioned this before, like ages ago, that we were talking about doing it, and we tried to get it up and running. We were going to do it last year, and it it my schedule didn't work for it, unfortunately. Yeah, it, and it's and now that I've uh, played D anD D as a DM, I I I'm suddenly aware of how involved this is. Um, so it was it just didn't work uh, when we tried to make it happen. But at some stage, I think we'll try to make it happen. So you never know, listeners. Maybe there will be a Nabeth uh, campaign with myself, mm-hmm. Bill, and maybe some other internet friends. Um. Who knows? But we we have this idea of a of a on air um, uh, tabletop game still in the back of our heads. Um, now the the thing uh, I want to talk about, or I want to just mm-hmm. bring up and uh, quiz you about, is you said off air that you would show the second and third pages of this document to the players because mm-hmm. as, for me, right, it read so obviously as page one, the bit you've just heard, listeners, was like a bit of prose, and then page two and three 
is like a DM's document outlining the various factions, the various characters, the sort of uh, like uh, storytelling mechanics in a way, like where the story could go. And I was, yeah, it was just, you just offhandedly said, oh, I'd give that to the players. And I was like, what? No, what are you talking about? Like that must be the DM's material. What's, fill me in here. I don't know. I just, I think there's nothing there that is secret or... Or that like wouldn't be known by people living in the city. It wouldn't like if you were what I have in the concept of the player characters being. If you were a gladiator in a stable in Naveth, that's all information that you would have. Uh, okay, maybe, but if you were visiting gladiator, possibly not. But and you'd have to you'd have to talk to the locals or talk to like some politician or whatever. In which mm-hmm. case, that information. It shouldn't be readily available for the players. It should be for you to give to them if they quiz the NPCs in the correct way. No, I, I think everything that's there is is just very kind of like public information. It's it's like, um, I mean, it's, it's just like you or me knowing who who like the the shirt is or knowing. That is the Irish. That is the Irish Prime Minister. For anyone who wonders what those sounds were, yeah, the 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 head of the Irish government. Um, yeah, no, it's, I just think that's just kind of like normal everyday stuff. There's nothing there that I would I would feel would need to be kept back. And I think giving players that kind of information, um, it gives them a kind of a framework to think about the world, and it immerses them a bit. And, I mean, the, the prose does that as well, for sure, but it gives them a couple of more specifics to hang on to. So, I, I apologise to listeners here, because we're getting very into the mechanics of how to run a D&D sort of thing here, but just, just bear with me, because I'm, I'm running uh, the second installment of, of the game, um, of the campaign, this Sunday. Um, so this is intriguing, uh, because I am, the characters are going into a town. Mm-hmm. Well, hopefully they'll go into town if they don't screw me over. Um, and... In the town, there's a whole bunch of places, to obviously, to visit and stuff, which, mm-hmm. like you pointed out there, are kind of general knowledge. Uh, the person who's bringing them to town would know all of this. But mm-hmm. at no point did the, the, the instructions, like the, the, the book or whatever, or myself, like, kind of think that it's a good idea to just, like, give them a sheet of paper and be all, like, here are all, like, here are the main buildings or here are the main yeah. uh, people in the town, that it's all kept behind the scenes and it's up for them to to draw it out yeah even but that's though, a different even though it's common knowledge do you know okay but we're 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 f- framing things very different my my concept for the game is you are a stable of gladiators working in Naveth. Uh, okay okay that and that is the core of the campaign is that you are that is what you what you are and the, the purpose is to like become a more successful gladiator or whatever and then um, defeat the dragon. Well, obviously. Obviously. <laughs> That's how all RPGs must end. Um, whereas what your thing is, is they are going to a town. Now, if I had them go on tour to another city, I would do it like the thing you're describing. Right. That they would have right, right. kind of bare bones information about the place, but they wouldn't know who all of the the potentates are and what like all the different factions and stuff are necessarily so uh and then how would you deliver this information to your to your players are you gonna would you literally hand them documents 
Or would you just sit them down before gameplay and be like, here is what you know about the world. Let me talk to you for 10 minutes. Um, I would probably give them the documents, right? And I wouldn't, I wouldn't give them much more than what's here because I think people don't really like to read all that much. Um, and it can be kind of intimidating to get all this stuff to read. Um, I would give that to them to refer to and then kind of have a chat and say, this is roughly what's going on. Oh, that's interesting. I might actually, I might do that then because um, like, like we just pointed out there um, that there's a different conceit going on between what I'm doing and what what you're doing. Um, But at some point the players will have gathered information. So I might actually make a document with just a list of the information um, and to be able to hand to them as opposed to everyone trying to have to remember. um, Yeah. As things go. That's interesting. I, I, for some reason, I just thought it was a no, no to hand out bits of paperwork to people. Um, I mean, every, everyone has their own play style. Sure, Th- like that kind of thing can be really good as a, as a prop. Like if if they find a letter that has a clue, have a physical letter. Oh, well, what's your opinions on maps? Yeah, I, I I would I would have no problem giving the maps. Um, um. Also, like if you have a player who who likes to take notes, then I wouldn't encourage that. Or if you wanted to, like to, them to collaborate on like a Google Doc or something. That can be quite quite effective. Um, we did that for the for the uh, Janspar campaign. One of the players collected everything and had like uh, a, a Google Doc. Do you remember that? I, um, I, I don't, but hang on. Is a Google Doc not a bit kind of immersion breaking? Like, I mean, you don't have necessarily have to refer to it in play, but it's just, it's a really good way of keeping track of things. And man, I don't know. I think I... Communicating outside I, of... Man, I think I'd mandate the use of paper there. Yeah. Yeah, man. Like, you're in a medieval setting and you'd be like, sorry, I need to log that in my Google Doc. Like, I'm obviously, like, I'm the tech guy. I love my tech. But in this instance, bits of paper, surely. Tea-stained paper. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it's it's different. It's different for everyone. I mean, I wouldn't, like, want people to be doing it at the table personally, but if, if that's how they want to keep track of things away from, from the thing and have like if they want to refresh when they're like not at the table they can go and check it on the google doc and then everyone's working off the same off, off the yeah. same hymn sheet uh the um, uh, the idea about taking notes live sorry i, I realize again I'm, apologies oh, listeners no. we've gone away from bill's piece and gone into general dming here just bear with me uh the the thing about taking notes um the first the, the first campaign uh, i ran the first part of the campaign I was giving them the backstory about how they all came came to be there. And it's not mm-hmm. really that important. It's kind of a bit of world building, a bit of context. There's two or three things you might need to remember. Uh, but it was it was funny. They all like, all four of them feverishly took Sorry. notes. Sorry, oh, 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 oh Jesus, hold on. Sorry, stop. Oh God, what's going on? <laughs> so I just, I just like, I'm on a couch and I just sat to like, Crossed my legs like Lotus style under me on the couch and in the way knocked my phone off the table and knocked the headphones out of the phone. So um, carry on. Okay. That's going to be wonderful to edit. Put it all they, at the end. Cut it all out. Put it all at the end. <laughs> we'll cut everything out. We'll cut the whole one hour and half, one and a half hours out. No, but um, the, uh, what was I saying? Uh, oh yeah. Yeah. Um, they were all feverishly taking notes. Mm-hmm. And I remember thinking to myself, God, this is, if they keep doing this, it's going to be really boring because I'd, I'd be all like, you know, um, you've met Bob in this city. And then they're all like, 
Bob. What's Bob look like? And I'm like, I, I don't know, uh, silver hair, uh, short. Silver hair, short. Race, dwarf, dwarf. And like, I had to stop every, like literally every two or three words and wait for everyone to take notes. And I was like, I don't think I'm going to allow them to do that going forward. <laughs> so I'm with you with the uh, no note-taking or minimal note-taking at the table. Totally with you on that. Yeah. Well, um, no, I, I think it's good if... Um... In a game I worked, I, I was in before, one person was like really into note taking. I would take a few things, but one of the guys was like, took pretty much all of the notes. And he was playing another character's butler, so it kind of made sense. Oh, that's, 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 the details. That's, a, that's a good in story reason. I like that. I like it. Um, um, anywho, anywho uh, any, anything to, to add uh, on, the, on specifically the second and third pages? Um, yes. Mm hmm. I used a couple of tools to help me frame and develop my ideas about the city. Um, so, uh, as I said, I've been thinking a lot about, about gaming recently because I haven't done it in so long. I kind of miss it. Um, ages ago, I bought a load of RPGs, a um, load of PDFs, and I was looking through them recently. And um, the, the two books that I used anyway... Was uh, one was the the game mastery guide from uh, Paizo, so that's a, a Pathfinder supplement, and it has a section in it about like developing a city, and you know helping you flesh out the city, and and it it gives a a kind of a character sheet for a settlement, and it gives you space to um put in the demographics and the NPCs, like the notable NPCs and locations and adventure hooks and things, um so that that was quite fun. And I, it like gave me a framework to to look at, you know, this is the size of the city. If I was doing this in strict game statistics, what would that change? And I didn't stick to the format specifically, but it made me think about those things. So it was really useful in that sense. Um, so that was the first one. And the other one I got was, uh, or the other one I used was the uh, Dresden Files RPG. I'm not sure if I... I think I've talked about the Justin Files on the podcast before, have I? I, I think so. This sounds familiar. Um, it's a series of books, anyway, that, that I enjoy um, about a private detective in Chicago. Oh, why is, is, it, why is it called Dresden Files? Is his name Dresden? His, his name is Harry Dresden, yeah. Uh, so he's, and he's a professional wizard. Um, <laughs> Those words sound so funny. Professional wizard. Yeah. <laughs> Harry, um, Harry Dresden, the professional wizard. <laughs> Yeah, he's the only he's the only wizard in the phone book. Um, is is kind of a recurring gag in in the first few books, um, and that that RPG one of the books is has a big section on developing your own city, so that the players who are playing in the campaign, and not just the the GM or whatever the actual the the GM and the players they collaboratively work together to come up with what themes they want in the city they're playing in. And oh, it has cool. a bunch of different approaches. Like you can use your own city. That's the one that they recommend, you know, and like find out local legends and kind of rumors and stuff uh, and and build that into like the supernatural element that you're going to play in in the game. Or you could like take another famous city or you're somewhere nearby that you can go and visit to find things out. Um, but that also gives a framework for um, de- developing... The, the people and the locations within within the game that you're going to actually be playing in. Now, it, it wasn't 
exactly relevant because the the focus of of that game is kind of you're protecting this city from supernatural threats um but still it it had a framework that i could say you know i need to have this many characters and i need to have this many locations to fill in on the sheet so i'm going to think about that and this is what i come up with um so yeah th- th- those those were two good tools and um, i couldn't find anything else among the books i had um and i couldn't find um i didn't have that much that was actually directly related to to gladiatorial combat i know there's um a little bit in, in the pathfinder thing about performance combat and stuff but um yeah i'm 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 curious what else is out there particularly for for the developing the city and the developing the districts if people if people dig this idea i might next episode do a little bit more on it like develop some of the areas within the city and stuff next week next yes edgar next week yes uh just while we're on the subject of recommending things that are like uh, Mm -hmm. frameworks and like generative things um sci-fi settings uh everyone should go check out gurps um Mm -hmm. i've used gurp space uh loads in my uh space videos uh but gurps seem to have books and books on everything uh, and it's a very, very similar thing to what Bill is explaining. Um, there, there is a GURPS Imperial Rome, all right. There you go. It's they have one for nearly everything, uh, and I, I can't speak uh, to all of them, but I can speak about space because I've read that thing uh, cover to cover, and it's great. It's really good. Um, it's, I mean, it's really good for like tabletop problems. There's certain things where it's kind of like you know, throw these dice and this happens, and you're kind of like, that's not how the science works there. But that that's okay. It's still a really, really good. <laughs> Uh, framework for generating like planets and systems mm-hmm. and um, all these sort of things. So uh, we'll leave links to all of this this stuff in the show notes, and you should go check it out. So anyway, that that little insert aside, uh, have a read. Give us a read there of some of the things that you said in on pages two and three. Um, actually, no, you pick out you pick out ones that you liked. Okay, so I've I've got a description of the government uh, and stuff, um, and then I've got. Uh, some characters, I've got some NPCs, I've got some locations, and I've got some rumours and hooks. So could, I want you to pick one of each. One of that each? you liked. Okay. All right, okay. So, so a let's, character, uh, a location, and a hook. Oh, a character, a location, and a hook. Um, well, sure. Okay, character, We're you mentioned Gasuta yeah. um, in, in the main piece. So let's hear a bit about Gasuta. Okay, so Ksutha came to Nabeth at a young age to become a gladiator. She has reigned as the grand champion for several years now, and though she no longer competes regularly, she is yet to be defeated in the annual games. That was a character, so let's hear... Um, let's... Location. Can you read the thing about the Temple of Sands and the Highfield? Yeah, okay. Um, so, look, I'll, I'll read all three of the big arenas then. Um, okay, go for it. If we're doing two. So these are the three great arenas. The Temple of the Sands is an ancient temple dating to before the city of Nabeth was founded and outside the original limits of the city. The blessed energies here are what give the sacred sands their life-preserving power. It's located in the northeast of the city. The High Field is located in the north of the city, overlooking much of Nabeth. It alone of all the great arenas stages fights between gladiators and wild beasts, and the owners are always on the lookout for new exotic creatures to use. 
And thirdly, the Speaker's Arena is located in the southwest of the city. It was built a century ago after a campaign of public finance led by speakers who would go on to be the basis of the modern Tower faction. Uh, the Tower faction being one of the political parties. Yeah, the Tower faction being one of the political parties. I'll read out the description of the Tower faction. Um, the Tower Party are the party of aristocratic power and tradition. They finance large works to improve the lives of citizens, sponsor many of the largest games, and encourage naval trade. So that's their political stick. A- any reason why you named, oh, for, uh, full disclosure, the, pow- the factions are the Wheel Party, the Tower Party, the Cup Party. Any particular reason for those names? No. No, because a tower is a, an interesting one given that they like their naval trade and improving the lives of citizens. It's a very kind of like, it feels like the tower thing should be almost like a, a political party that's big on defense and militarization. Um, it probably would be as well, yeah. Oh, I mean, yeah. Sorry, the aristocratic power and tradition, that sounds, yeah, that, that sounds fitting with kind of like big, mm-hmm. big, um, big army. Um, I suppose and- wheel because I'll, I'll, I'll read those I'll read them all out <laughs> so <laughs> what we're doing so listeners what we're doing here is we're essentially reading you pages two and three of the document in a non-chronological order with a lot of uh, what's called sporadic commentary in between enjoy so the three main political factions in the city are the wheel party are seen to represent the common people particularly the merchant classes and tradesmen their most radical members want to grant positions in the assembly to the other towns and bands under Nabethi dominion Oh. The Tower Party are the party of aristocratic power and tradition. They finance large works to improve the lives of citizens, sponsor many of the largest games, and encourage naval trade. And the Cup Party are the faction of labourers, and are supported by many of the ethnic factions in Nabeth. They seek to ensure work for the, for the people of Nabeth, and are opposed to punitive taxes. I can see the Cup Party doing well. Um, yeah, that's cool. That's cool, man. Um, I, again, I... I I don't think we should continue to read out page two and three in a in a haphazard fashion. I think everyone okay, should we'll, check. Go on. What? We'll, we'll go with one with one rumor. Uh, okay, let's let's pick the one. Hold on. Um, uh, let's do the one that starts gossip in the West End. Gossip in the West End of the city is saying that a great fighter, a champion among the nomads and the outlying forts, is preparing to make a move to the city and start a career in earnest. We got competition for our party. I, I like that because of the expanding the scope of the world. Uh, there's yeah. there's more beyond the walls of the city. I think that's cool. Exactly, and all of those little bits that I that I write, I try and put in something like even in the descriptions of the of the cities or the descriptions of the character. Sorry, the descriptions of the locations and the description of the characters. I try and link those things together. So some of the characters will refer to. The will refer to a location, or they will refer to a, an adventure truck, or they will refer to the politics. And like in the locations, the high fields, they're looking for new new creatures. So you could fight there, or you could go and get new creatures for them, or yeah. you know that could be the basis of some kind of role playing or some some campaign or something, some adventure rather. So I've again for DMs uh, who are looking to write their own adventures and not necessarily just buying a pre rolled one. Um, check out do check out the document I think this is really cool and it's really concise at least from what I've um, gotten used to like I have a huge well not a huge book but I have a big book of stuff and this is two or three pages that seems to do an awful lot of um, what mm. like an entire chapter in the book that I have here does so um, it's good you should check it out you should definitely definitely check it out thank you um, yeah cool will we will we move into green room let's move into green room oh wait what was it meant oh, people were like it's meant to be called like the 
the Emerald pa- Palace. The Verdant the, Salon. To say it again? The Verdant Salon. The Verdant that's just my one. That's just, uh, that was my suggestion. <laughs> I like it. The Verdant Salon. Let's move into the Verdant Salon. <laughs> Game of Thrones. Game of Thrones mm-hmm. happened. We're late to the party here, given our schedule. But like, hey, it's a it's a like a, a big moment in kind of like nerd culture. Um, so it'll be remiss of us not to speak about it at all. At least that's, that's what I think. Um, so... I don't know anything about your feelings towards Game of Thrones at all, Bill. We have not talked off air, and I am, uh, I am excited to see. What well, one have you watched it, uh, and two, what did you think? If you haven't watched it, this is going to be the shortest green room ever. <laughs> Could you imagine? <laughs> <laughs> did you watch it? I watched it. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So, what did you? Uh, let's start broad, right? What did you think about the overall eighth season? What did I think about the eighth season? Um, Overall. It was not very good. It was very rushed. And um, a lot of it felt kind of ticking off boxes or kind of perfunctory or something. Mm-hmm. I, I, you, I agree with you. And I think the internet agrees too. Uh, I don't think there are mm-hmm. many people that say that this season is very good. Apparently, I don't remember though. Apparently... Uh, a lot of people were saying that it started going downhill like a season or two ago, which I don't really remember. Um, but apparently this was kind of coming. People weren't that shocked. They were kind of like, yeah, it's been happening. Um, Some of the issues I've had have been have been there for a while, yeah. Um, but, I mean, not all of the, not all of them. Not all of them by any means. And it's it's a shame because, like, if they had delivered this in a, in a decent manner, in a non-rushed, competent manner... Uh, mm-hmm. God, like G- Game of Thrones still is a great TV series, like one of the best. But if they had knocked it out of the ballpark like they did with the earlier seasons, like they, it, it, like it would be put up on such a pedestal this 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 uh, series. And it's just such a shame that it just like it just completely died a death at the end. Agreed. Yeah, for sure. Uh, do you have any uh, particular grievances that you 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 would like to bring up? Uh, okay, so obvious spoilers from this point. Oh yeah, um, sorry. Yeah, let me think. Um, I'm just I'm looking at some statuses that I've had here about it. Um, so it, it was known for its intrigue, right? And like all these like complex machinations and and you know betrayal and who who believes what and how how are things going to go and you know very very kind of tightly tightly considered and tightly written intrigue. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And in the last episode, Sansa goes. By the way, dudes, we secede. <laughs> and that was it. That was that was the extent of of the the political writing into the, the North's like independence. And I mean, it had been kind of like a thing they had wanted. They were an independent mm-hmm. people or whatever. But it was in, in effect that was all it was. Um, and everyone else just kind of went along with it. Like there was there was no kind of thing. It was, it was like we secede. And then the episode ended, and they were succeeded, and that was fine. I think that, I think you've brought up a point that kind of is uh, endemic of the the whole thing, uh, the whole season. Mm-hmm. There's loads of kind of like it's like oh, and now this is the case, uh, and yeah. it's like but we we didn't spend any time getting there, and you know yeah. people would fight back and say, well, like let's say for example, Arya killing the Night King, which I'm not against at all. Uh, for the record, but uh, loads of people criticize that, be like it kind of just came out of nowhere without kind of like build up, and then people will say, 
But if you look back, there's been two or three scenes or whatever where it seems like, you know, it was hinted that she would go all the way and all that. But that's not, for me, that's not sufficient. Like you, I think there has to be uh, a more laid out arc. And in the case of Sansa, for sure, like you we really want to see that, you know? Yeah. And, and like, we just I, I love... I love Sansa as a character. She's a great character, but just like she was really badly used at the end in in, in that room. Yeah, for sure. In, the Sansa, in that development, Sansa and Littlefinger. Not sorry, not Littlefinger. Sansa and uh, Jaime Lannister are my favorite characters in the whole thing, uh, and they yeah. had they had been since I read the books. Like they were just I've ne- I've never had I've never hated a character more than Sansa at the start of the books. And then had her, uh, and then had my feelings completely reversed as the books went on. Like at the start, she was this like stereotypical, weak, like fantasy princess sort of thing. And it was just. Yeah, I love that. No, no, but yeah, it was no, but I love that in in hindsight, once she kind of turned and you're like, oh, she is really deep and complex. Like that was class. Uh, But at the start, I didn't know that that was going to happen. So I thought she was just going to play out Mm. as this stereotypical fantasy princess. And. That infuriated me, but then it turned and it was like, oh, this is really complex. I really loved it. Same thing with Jamie, except kind of in reverse. Mm-hmm. Um, but the the that last scene with Sansa and the succeeding from North, that whole thing, that whole scene was an utter car crash for me. And it just, I, I don't think it needed to be there. And it ended the thing, uh, the series on such a, like, such a, uh, what's the word? Like, um, mundane and banal note. And like the, the attempts at humor were just way off tone with what yeah. we just experienced. It was cringy, and the characters weren't acting like real people. Like like Grey Worm, for example. Like why is Grey Worm there, and why is he appealing to the, this council? Like yeah. he has no. He's like, like go on. They they ended up leaving anyway. They ended up heading off to Nath, right? So yeah. if they were going to do that all along, why didn't why didn't Grey Worm just like stab Jon Snow? Yeah, no one was there to to like exact any kind of justice or revenge or anything on them. Yeah, exactly. And they were planning on leaving anyway. So yeah, like J- Jon Snow has just murdered their god queen, and he's all like, "Oh, I must talk to the council first. And it's like, "What? Yeah. No, like he wouldn't act like that. There's no way he would act like that." And then like, or, or like if he was planning on using it for some kind of political leverage, but he didn't do that. <laughs> yeah, it was mad. Um, and then, and, and also the whole, fight. the whole thing about them them going off to Nath, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's because you know that's where uh, Missandei was from, and it's it's all peaceful and things. Um, so the army, I know where this is going. Are, you know, probably suffering from like PTSD and have known nothing but war for their entire existence, like from childhood. That is all that they did was war they're going to go off to this peaceful land and like, how's that going to work? Because they're not wanted there because th- that country is pacifist. And if they're like heading off to protect them from slavers, then they're just like imposing a militarism on that country. Like it's, it's, it was like, it was trying to do like this kind of nice ending for the Unsullied, but it's just, it's, it's just, it doesn't work in any kind of practical terms. Yeah, for sure. It's like accidental colonialism. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. But yeah, again, but that, that whole last thing with everyone kind of going their separate ways, like why? I don't think we needed to know all of this. Like who cares? You know, like who cares about everyone's story and how they, you know, go off and whatever. It's, it's just that whole extra, uh, uh, the, up from the point of Jon Snow killing Danny to the end, it's just like, of that episode, it's just like, I, we didn't need that there. That should have been re- mm. reworked completely. Um, 
Uh, another thing I didn't like uh, is Euron Greyjoy. When when he came out of the sea and to fight Jamie, it was just it was like comically bad. It's like Jamie's, you know, you know the scene. Jamie's like going to yeah. to, to search wherever, and he's just like, "I'm here. Hi, I hate you. Let's fight." And it's like, what? Like it's just crazy. And then he stabs him like multiple times, and then Jamie just kind of like, like he's you, you see that he's in, in pain or whatever, but like he kind of shrugs it off really well for a man that just got stabbed multiple times, and you know makes his way to Cersei what, over what seems like a long distance. And when he gets to Cersei, he seems fine-ish. And it's just like... He doesn't seem any worse for climbing like a couple of thousand steps. Right, exactly. After being stabbed multiple times. Like, it's just ridiculous. Like, it's, it's just, I don't understand how, how they messed it up so bad. Like, it's like they forgot. Yeah. They just forgot how to write. Like, I'm not a writer, right? Uh, but I, could, I guarantee you I could do a better job. Like, it's just like, it was crazy incompetent. <laughs> and, and like, when, when the North seceded, right? Mm-hmm. How come the other six kingdoms stay together despite, like, the the Iron Islands trying to secede, like, three times in the last generation and Dorne Dorn. wanting independence and, like, just, you know, the Iron Islands because Yara was pledged to Daenerys and then, oh, there's a different person is is actually the monarch now and she was fine with that. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's and it totally is a case of it was rushed. They just needed to shut up shop and get going. Yeah. And it's just, none, um, of, none of it worked. Oh, can, can I ask before we go on, what do you think yeah. of, of Bran as being the king? Um, I think it's very, very cool how the transcendent prophet shaman <laughs> who can see across time and space becomes the king and everyone only refers to him by the fact that he has a spinal injury. <laughs> I think that's brilliant. I mean, yeah, Bran the Broken. Yeah, yeah, but the other thing is too esoteric. Like, what? Brand, well, I suppose you could say Brand the Seer and things like that. Yeah. Brand the Sage, Brand King the... Brand, just call him King Brand. Like, yeah, I think I think like they didn't call they didn't call Robert Baratheon Robert the Fat. They just called him King Robert. Like. Robert the Fat. <laughs> That's fair. Um, but what what do you think of him as as him as a choice for uh, the ruler of uh, the Six Kingdoms? Kind of comes out of nowhere. It, it does come out of nowhere. It, it, it does make sense in, in a lot of ways. Like, yeah, cool, he would be a good king. He can see across time and space. That's a useful thing for a king to have. Um, but it didn't. I, I felt like they didn't really set it up very much. And um, why is everyone still okay with him being king if the North is seceded? It just... It, it's, yeah. Yeah, I, um, I, I like symbolic... Lots of people have lots of problems with Bran being king. Um, I actually don't really mind. I actually think he's one of the better choices, I suppose. But like you were saying, there was no build-up to kind of cement that. Um, but I like the notion... Tyrion mentioned it where he's kind of like, in order to move past, uh, move forward, we got to look into our past and who better than, than Bran. And I like that sort of yeah. th- that sort of symbolism. I think that works quite well. Um, and it fulfills the criteria of like mentioned the entire way through the season that like maybe John would be a better king because he doesn't want it, uh, and like if anything is clear, Bran has no interest in the throne, so it f- fulfills that criteria. Um, so I didn't think I didn't I didn't think he was a bad choice at all. Um, they just executed it very poorly. Mm-hmm. Um, what's your? Uh, I'm assuming because you you think it's pretty poor. I'm assuming you must have some notions about how you would rewrite it because everyone's rampantly speculating how you would go about changing this season. Have you any any ideas? 
Um, no, I don't. I don't pretend to to be a writer. Um, other things, stuff. Other people have have pointed out to me though. Um, Arya's like the whole thing about stealing people's faces was was used precisely once at the very start in the very first episode. Um, was of, that of the season? Was that it, this season? Where she kills Frey. Oh, maybe that's the start of season seven, actually. I think it is, man. I don't think that was in this season. That was before. Because the fir- is the first episode of this season. John and Danny arriving in Winterfell. Uh, yes, I think so. Yes. And she was already there then. I think. I think. Yeah. Okay. So she doesn't use it at all. Um, yeah. Someone pointed out to me it would have been very cool if she had, like, if so like the, the white the Night King had been about to to kill Bran. And then one of the other White Walkers oh. takes his face off and it's Arya. That's not that bad. That would have been very cool. That is um, not so bad. Some, someone some suggested that to me. That would have been great. And that would have, like, used her... Used all of the stuff they'd done to develop her character and put it to use. And at the end, she goes off to be an explorer. Where, where did that come from? Now, so this is one of those things that people will say, but that's actually foreshadowed. Apparently, there are scenes where she's mentioned, like, I wonder what is west of Westeros. Like, and there's some indication that she wanted to do that. But again, it's just not enough to make it a believable sort of thing. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't get, I don't get that easy either, to be fair. Um, you know what I'm looking forward to? Um, no. <laughs> um, I'm looking, really looking forward to the next couple of years of like images and stuff from Game of Thrones being used for all kinds of terrible political memes. <laughs> Because, right, if, if, no, I don't think this was in any way the intention of any of the writers, and I don't think this is, like, an expression of any kind of political beliefs or whatever, but if we look at what happens in season seven and eight, okay, mm-hmm. uh, a woman leads an army which is comprised mostly of people who would be read as people of colour in our world, mm-hmm. invades... A mostly white country um, preaching like liberal ideas and, and liberation and freedom and stuff and turns to fascism at the very first opportunity like oh. can you see how well that is going to play with, with certain political crowds <laughs> yeah no it, yeah no it, it will <laughs> Um, that's not so anytime enough. any any old writers want to say that liberals are the real fascists, they're gonna have like images of the nearest Targaryen and the and and the Unsullied to 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 like have as the background there. And, and I th- I think she's an interesting character, and I think they they did something. I think there was something quite good there, and people were very critical of how like oh they they threw away eight years of character development um, when she when she um, tears up King's Landing. I, I don't think that they did. I think that has all been seeded for a very long time, and it's yeah. always been there. It was done, it was executed terribly. It was really, really badly executed Agreed. because it was rushed. Yeah, um, But it made sense that, that, that she would do that. Um, and she, she's an interesting character because she, you could read her as a, as a critique of kind of empty liberalism or of like very kind of 
white liberalism because she preaches this thing of of liberation um but it's always centered around her own power actually i i i wrote a thing about this i'm gonna i'm gonna find it um, uh, we've gotten fierce political here i'm really sorry to everyone involved no uh, no but i i, I think it is you know, there's an interesting thing to to be will, will i not say this <laughs> no 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 it, it's fine i'm still i'm just i'm bracing myself mentally for for feedback <laughs> Okay, so I mean, I'm obviously a, a very left person. I think that's that's, that's fairly clear. Um, and this is a criticism of of or th- this character. I think can be read as a criticism of liberalism from a left point of view, not from a conservative point of view. Right. But so she talks about changing the system, right? Mm-hmm. But she is part of the system, and she can't acknowledge that she is part of the system. She set everything is centered around her own power, and the status quo is central to her power because she's inheriting through her own bloodline. And as soon as she doesn't get her own way, she resorts to the violence that the system has always used. Yeah. So she, she like she imagines herself as as a progressive character, but she is just a different flavor of the same status quo. For sure, and I, that you're right. That is very interesting. That is an interesting thing about her. Definitely. I I think, uh, if I may, uh, a little bit on Danny. I, I think she should never have uh, flipped completely. Um. I think she shouldn't should never have went full fascism and genocide and all sort of jazz. I think they should have continued the trend of dropping hints that maybe uh, she's not all as great as everyone thinks she is. You know, like with the, the mm-hmm. she burned the two lads, uh, the Tarleys, the Tarleys exactly. Little little moments like that where you're kind of it's very grey and you're kind of like, is she good or is she not good? I kind of wish the show never really did that. And in mm-hmm. my sort of. Uh, vague trying to reconstruct the show I think what should have happened was um, and would have allowed for this sort of character development is that uh, the the battle with the Night King occurs in King's Landing mm-hmm. so the first like engagement with the Night King's armies occurs in uh, Winterfell huge losses are um, inflicted there's a retreat Winterfell falls uh, the armies of, of the men of the Westerosi armies keep falling back until they hit King's Landing they get to King's Landing and they go look Cersei I realise we have these differences you're holed up in your keep Night King's here you can you can see him he is coming you need to help and then Cersei in her, out of her own self-help interests kind of like opens up the gates or opens the gates and they kind of uh, the enemy of your enemy is uh, the enemy of my enemy is your friend or whatever that is. They kind of combine forces, but on the sly, Cersei is kind of like, look, uh, Clegane or whatever, um, or Sandor Clegane or whatever. Some one of her spies, like, if you get a chance, take out Danny. And I kind of would have liked to seen Danny assassinated in that sort of situation, so we never get to know whether or not Danny turned full fascist. We only have hints that she may have done, and I think that's a cooler yeah. sort of like. It, it it means that the story lives on far more in our heads than it does now. A bit now. more ambiguity. Exactly, because now it's cut and dry and we know exactly what happens. We no, need to, we no longer need to ever think about Game of Thrones. But if it was done something like that, we could, you know, you and I could come back in two or three years' time and continue to speculate about what might happen. Like, I think that's a bit better. Mm. Um, not that's, Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, certainly the thing about the, the Night King falling in Winterfell was just the most anticlimactic thing ever. Like you have the big bad, like the sort like the sort of demonic undead and they fall yeah. midway through the season and you're left with the sort of housekeeping of like, oh, I guess we should take King's Landing. It's just so anticlimactic Look, because everything's uh, uh, exactly the wrong way around. I think there's really interesting storytelling possibilities there. And I, I can I can imagine something very effective there that... They 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 oh they did it and they they kill this supernatural threat, 
but that doesn't change the fact that they still have to deal with the human threat. And I think that could be done really effectively, but just something about it fell flat. Yeah, I mean, I think it sounds effective, but I think on screen there's no way of doing it without it being anticlimactic. Because he's so much Possibly. bigger than the human threat. Like, there's no way of going... There's no way of selling it without being kind of like, oh, yeah, and then we need to do this afterwards. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, don't, I, I don't know. Um, but certainly, I think that if you are to take out the Night King, which uh, obviously were to happen, he, I, I think it needs to... Uh, as is the problem with much of the season, it needs to happen over a much longer period of time. Like, uh, almost do, like, a, a reverse uh, Jesus here in that the Night King has to, like, seemingly fall a couple of times before he's actually destroyed. But kind of taking him out on the first sort of pop uh, is kind of like, well, that was horrifically anticlimactic. You know, you need to, mm. we need to see more losses and to build him up even more as this invincible dude. And then, uh, you know, against all odds, we come true after a long and bloody uh, ordeal with him, you know. But this this idea of just kind of like rocks up to Winterfell, Arya stabs him, he's done, move on. It's just, it's just too quick. No, no, I, I agree that there, there needs to be something or that there ought to have been something more, more shape to it. Um, also, and this is one thing that, that I thought for a while, the, the, the battles in it were always so bad, so like implausible and, and badly done. Um, Do you mean strategically? Yeah. See, now, this is interesting. Again, uh, I don't know much about military tactics, so maybe it's easier for me to accept this. But I was, when I heard that the, the, they, they coordinated the battles terribly, I was always kind of like, well, what's wrong with that? Like, I mean, humans make terrible decisions. And like in the case of Winterfell, like if you're facing an army of undead, maybe that might cause decision making to go out the window somehow, you know, out of like stress or fear yeah, or... Uh- I'll I'll accept I'll accept that um I'll accept that up to a point for sure I hope to a point um but like I mean yeah but I I don't think anyone's going to uh like the sending the the Dothraki charging into uh like in the dark charging into the army of the dead as the very first thing in the in the battle I mean that's like that's beyond foolish like oh yeah but like but Bill rule of cool. Yeah, but that, I mean, that's, that gives a different explanation for it. It doesn't make it less bad. Yeah, I, I, no, I'm joking. There's the old saying, um, um, maybe. The, the old saying that uh, the best defense is not wasting your elite shock troops on a pointless frontal assault at the very start of the engagement. <laughs> oh, I love it. That's brilliant. Um, I mean, but it doesn't matter in this case because, because all the Dothraki came back. So it's fine. Yeah, it, it's uh, <laughs> how how did how did the the unsullied like provision themselves in the months it took to assemble that council where where Bran became king and North seceded? Like they were in a bombed out city. All the food had been taken from the the surrounding areas and presumably had been destroyed. How did the Dothraki eat? Yeah, there's. There are problems, Bill. <laughs> there are major problems. Well, like okay, even even other than the Battle of Winterfell, like the Battle of the Bastards was absurd. Like it was beyond ridiculous, um, in, in how that played out, and the the un, un previously unknown phenomenon of when you shoot a load of people with arrows, the corpses assemble themselves into hills. <laughs> I see again because. 
uh, again, I don't know very much about battles. I, I thought, looking at that, uh, and I'm perhaps I'm being naive, in fact, I almost definitely am, um, I thought that was like a more realistic depiction of a battlefield because, uh, at least in my head, from playing like video games and stuff, battlefields tend to be very clean. Um, do you know, like, you know, you'll, you'll, you'll kill someone and they'll disappear because it's a game. Yeah. And I was like watching that, I was kind of like, maybe that's what battlefields are actually like. Like these corpses will just pile into these unnavigable hills and the terrain becomes really difficult. So for me, actually, uh, and it might be entirely wrong, but it, it kind of increased realism for me. I don't see how they'd actually form into hills, though. I mean, if you keep killing them in the same spot, surely they would just like... But oh, then, and the... like, people aren't just going to keep climbing the, the, the same spot oh, where yeah. the other guys are getting shot. Oh, yeah, you're going to get like a single layer, one or two people deep. Uh, yeah. But they won't... that's fair. No, that's fair. That's fair. That makes sense, yeah. Now that you pointed it out, Bill, thanks for ruining that, that battle for me. <laughs> what I did like about that battle was that it was confusing and the way it was shot was messy and like difficult to read. And I thought that was like a really appropriate level of... Of, of confusion, I guess. You know, it was... I thought that was very effective is it, this is in still, that sense. This is still the Battle of the Bastards, yeah? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, do, do, you, do you say the same thing about the Battle of Winterfell in terms of the confusion and the way it's shot? Um, not particularly. I thought that was all right. Okay. I thought it was shot horrifically bad, uh, poorly. Um, and it's, again, it's been talked, it's talked about ad nauseum on the internet, but, like, everything's so dark... And yeah. like we were watching it on like a five year old computer with like not the best screen. And mm. if you try and do that, it's like it's proper hard to watch. Um and I'm sure if you have loads of like cool modern tech and like a massive like you know, fifty inch OLED television, everything might be fine. But like if you don't have that, it was it was not fine to watch. There was loads of like, what happened there? I don't know what's going See, on. I, I watched all of season seven and pretty much all the rest of season eight on my tablet which um, was very, very dark. And I, I, there were a lot of scenes where I couldn't see what was going on. But I had been pre-warned about the Battle of Winterfell and I happened to be in my parents' house. So I just got up really early in the morning and like pulled the curtains and turned the brightness up to maximum on the TV. So it actually ended up being okay. <laughs> oh, interesting. interesting. I still, well, I still think that's a, a bad call on their part. Like, shouldn't need to do it that is, to yeah. be able to watch the, yeah. the TV. Um, a final thing, because we're, we're, we're over time a little bit, the shock horror for us. Um, <laughs> do you, uh, what are your, like, expectations with regards to the books? Do you think Martin will crank these things out before he dies? Uh, I have no idea. Um... I- are you holding out hope, or because I'm, uh, I'm, I'm hoping. I'm curious to see. I'm curious to see how he does it and in what way it's different. Um, I know he said like he said something to the effect that the the result will be the same, roughly, but the journey will be different. So I mean, and that's largely the problem we have with the show. Um, the journey but they was were locked poor. into an ending. Yeah, exactly. Um, the yeah, I don't hold out hope. Like I've been watching loads of interviews with him, and I'm kind of like. Like he one, I don't. He's not the youngest man in the world. Uh, one thing for one, uh, and two, you know, he doesn't look like the healthiest man in the world. And I'm sure all the stress of like having to like be involved with a show, at least previously, uh, and then writing these books and doing all the other things, they, they can't be good for the health. Like, um, so and and he's he he does a lot of other work. Like he he mm. he writes other things. He's uh, he's working on other TV shows on like some related, some unrelated. Yeah, so I, I think this might go a Robert Jordan sort of thing. I think a manuscript might need to be passed to someone else. Um, that's not going to happen, he said. Oh, did he say that's not going to happen? He said no one else is going to finish it. If, if he dies, he dies. Oh, 
oh, he better not die. Oh, no, because I, like, I really want, to, not, not to be all like, oh, we're left with this piece of crap TV show, because I honestly, I don't care. I think it was fine. It was, everything was fine. It was grand. Um, but I yeah. just want to, I just want to see, I, I want to see it come from him because it's his brainchild. Like, I want to see mm. how he would have uh, finished it, you know? I, I do want to point out, right, we, we have spent a fair bit of time talking about this, um, uh, but in in general, and like this, this is I've been talking about this because this is the topic that's come up, and you know it's it's relevant to the podcast and stuff. Um, you know, I I haven't been spending a huge amount of time thinking about this, and I think it's really weird how people are like obsessed with hating on the show. Um, I need to talk about this things, too. Yeah, similar things happened with um every Star Wars film that's come out in the last like five years, and um, people like obsess over how much they hate it and. Like, you don't have to like it. I wasn't that big a fan of most of the Star Wars films. But, like, you can not like something and just move on with your life. So, this is, yeah, I have felt this way with this um, because I've watched loads of people uh, complain about it on, like, YouTube and things. And it's, like, it's uncomfortable watching how upset they are over yeah. over this TV show that like they can just choose not to watch. And the thing that made it even more uncomfortable for me is that like I saw myself in them, like particularly when you said with Star Wars, like I was really angry at The Force Awakens because it breaks my rule of make new things. And I kind of as as I mature <laughs> into a 30-year-old, finally, I've kind of come to terms with this. I'm just kind of like there are some media that would be good and some will be bad. If bad, think about why bad uh, just you know as a sort of intellectual ex- exercise and then just move on like, yeah you don't need to dwell on it and in dwelling on it is just really bad for your mental health because you just get angrier and angrier and sadder and all this sort of yeah. thing um and like that's how i feel about game of thrones i think previous edgar would have been hugely upset about it but now i'm just like we had six or seven great seasons we had this not good season at all here's all the reasons why i think they're not good here's all the things i think that would have done uh could have been done better i eagerly look forward to some books uh to see a different perspective and then just kind of leave it at that i have touched yeah. on this cultural milestone and i'm fine someone asked me about it yesterday and said you know were you happy or unhappy and of that binary choice i guess i'd say unhappy but like i wasn't actually invested enough to feel happiness or otherwise it's a tv show that i watched that i didn't think ended that great that's cool. I'll watch something else now. It's, that's done, and I can do another thing. Exactly. Yeah. And and again, I I, I want to make clear I'm not being judgmental of people. Um, like if 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 you are listening and you have gotten very angry about this, that's you know you do you. Uh, but it's more uh that uh, this has caused me self reflect and changed the way I I was. You know. Mm-hmm. So it's it's a it's a very I'm looking at myself here, not others. Um, sort of thing. Um, but yeah. So. Uh, in summation, I suppose overall, Game of Thrones was great to watch. The last season was a bit lacking, um, but still, all in all, it's still a triumph of television. I agree with that. Yeah, and until next time. No, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but we, we do need to wrap up. So um, we do need to wrap that up. There. Do, you, do you have do you have a last thing you'd say or anything? Uh, no. No. Okay, not. so um, thank you to everyone. The usual, thank you for watching. Thank you for supporting the show on Patreon. Uh, and if you happen to go look at the merch, uh, a link is in the show notes over on Teespring. Um, th- thank you so much for uh, for buying merch as well. Um, it, it helps do our th- uh, do our thing, and it means it means a lot to us. Um, 
We will see you next week. See you <laughs> next. See us. See us tomorrow. We will see you in three hours uh, for more artifacts and fun and games. <laughs> Until next time, Edgar, Edgar out. out. Thank you.